You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Right? So, so cool. I think I missed my calling as a video editor, you know? Um, <laughs> That was really fun, kind of filming the whole experience, putting that together. I showed that on the first night of camp. Um, But why do I share this with you? Is that Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's giving us a new perspective. He's giving us a new way of looking at things. All of us, are, are maybe our minds were wired in a singular direction of what it means to be human and how it is that we are called to live life. And Jesus, through the Sermon on the Mount, is casting a new vision. He is giving a new uh, sense of what it means to live and breathe and follow God and live out his calling in the world. And this is what he is doing. And so over these last few weeks, we've been digging into those words that he was sharing. It started with the Beatitudes. And he, then he talked about what it means to be salt and light. He talked about what it means to live out the law. And, the, and we got into tons of really, you know, uh, ethics and things like that. And today, here's what he's going to do for us. He's going to give us a new perspective when it comes to this thing called worry. This thing called worry. Every single one of us in this room, uh, I I think it's safe to say, has worried before. Worried about someone, worried about something, worried about a situation. We've allowed a thought, we've allowed anxiety to roll over in our mind over and over and over again. And we've, we've, we've been deeply concerned And Jesus today speaks into that, and he helps us to envision what it would look like to trust God. And so if you are willing, if you're able, uh, let's stand. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 25. Okay, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, and let's see what Jesus has to say about worry. He says these words, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. And yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. God, uh, many of us walked into this space and this place worried, uh, worried about something, a situation that we are facing and that we are going through. And I pray today, Jesus, that you would help us to go up to 30,000 feet to see things from a new perspective and that you would help us, maybe not, not to not worry anymore, but to worry less, worry less in light of who you are, in light of who we are. Speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. You may be seated. In Jesus' day, the question of will I have enough was a very real one. Will I have enough food on the table to feed my kids? Will I have enough clothes to keep them warm? Will I have enough water and that being clean water? Think about it. They are in, they are in Israel, uh, which is the majority of it is a desert. And uh, he finds himself in Galilee next to a large body of water. But people every day were asking these questions. Will I have enough? And this is why in the previous text that Paul preached about last, last week, um, it was concerned about storing up treasures here on earth. Is because people have genuine worries and genuine concerns like the ones that Jesus is addressing. Now, I think it's fair to say that in our society, we, we don't, the majority of us, not saying all of us, but the majority of us don't ask these questions like, what am I going to eat or what am I going to drink or what am I going to wear? Even the poorest among us has access to these resources. And so the question is for us is that, is this still relevant to us in our socioeconomic realities here in Port Moody? Does this vision for the new humanity apply to the modern follower of Jesus? And I believe it does because regardless of who you are, like I said, we have all worried to one degree or another. Some of us really struggling with worry, uh, and it's manifested itself in, in, in deep anxiety. And I want to acknowledge that right off the get-go here. I, I don't believe Jesus is belittling some of your experience uh, that you're walking through where you've just had this crippling anxiety. But he is speaking to worry in particular, just the general worries that we have. And so don't, don't hear this as a belittling of your experience. Because you read stuff like what Jesus is saying, he's like, don't worry about these things, right? Your heavenly father's got him. You're like, man, if I could stop worrying, I would, right? But, um, but, but Jesus, for whatever reason, as he's casting this vision, he says he believes that it is possible that we could be a people who worry less. Um, this question, should I be worried, if you have been uh, down near science, science world and uh, near False Creek, you'll walk along the shore and you'll see a art piece that was put in with a big sign that says, should I be worried? And, uh, and it's, it's this sign here, uh, Jessica and I stumbled across it when, I don't know, maybe she was like six or seven months pregnant. There's actually a picture of her uh, with Emmy uh, in womb laughing, right, as she's pregnant. This is pre-pandemic. We had no idea how worried we should be, right? Uh, but, um, but, it, but it's a really interesting question. And the question has, an, has like a, an obvious answer of what they're trying to stir up within you. They're trying to stir up within you that you should be worried, right? That's the, the point of it. Like, you should be worried. You should be concerned, right? You should look up. Remember that movie, Don't Look Up, right? You should look up. There is challenges that are, you know, that we're facing. There are difficulties we're going through. You should be concerned is what it's trying to pull out of you as you view that art piece. And I had this thought this week, though. You're walking with Jesus, okay? Just imagine this. And I believe, actually, sometimes these kind of exercises or imaginative exercises kind of helps us to, like, see a text in a new way. Jesus is a real-life person, a real-life teacher who has real things to say to you and me. So just imagine you're walking with Jesus, 
and you're walking down that shoreline trail uh, near False Creek, and you look up and you see that sign. And Jesus reads it out. He says, should I be worried? How does he answer that question? Well, the text tells us that Jesus would say, no. (laughs) No, you shouldn't be worried. You shouldn't be worried. And there's a number of reasons why I believe he says this. It's because Jesus has complete confidence, complete confidence in who his heavenly father is, who you are, and how much God cares for you. Jesus sees things clearly in the way that we don't. He knows who his heavenly father is. He knows who you are, and he knows how his father feels about you. And it comes out in this text in a really profound way. Just imagine you're walking along the shoreline trail uh, right down by False Creek there. You look up that sign. He says, no, you shouldn't be worried. You look at him as if he's a little bit crazy, okay? Uh, You're like, perhaps he says, okay, Jesus, you've got your head literally in the clouds, right? Um, (laughs) You you obviously don't watch the news. Uh, Maybe you're just overly optimistic, but then he begins to preach to you. And I'm just going to read it to you one more time. He says, well, look at the birds. You're like, okay. Looking at the birds, right? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than them? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the flowers. Look, Look at these over here. They don't work. They don't sew clothes, and and yet they are more beautifully dressed than the richest of the rich in this city. Won't he certainly care for you? Jesus believes that in light of who our Father is, in light of who we are, in light of God's heart for us, that we can be a people who worry less. Who is Jesus' father? Well, Jesus said he was actually from the father. Before coming into earth, incarnate in the flesh, as a baby at Christmas, he actually knew the father. He coexisted with the father. He was in relationship with the father. He was one with the father, is what the scriptures tell us. And his father declares at his baptism, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And Jesus, because he knows the Father intimately, he knows his heart and he knows how he operates. He, he has seen how he has operated in this planet and with human beings since the beginning of time. Jesus has a confidence about who his Father is that gives him the confidence to say, Your heavenly Father will take care of you. He knows that his Father is a provider. If you go all the way back to the beginning pages of the scriptures in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see God creating this world. He's creating every plant and fruit and vegetable and mineral and water, everything that is needed for life and human flourishing. 
And this is why the psalmist says regarding God, the Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up those who bow down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand to satisfy the desires of every living thing. And Jesus, speaking to the same quality about his father, says, look at how our Father provides for the birds and for the flowers. Look how your heavenly Father provides for them. He sustains them every single day. John Calvin said the birds and the flowers are preachers. The birds and the flowers are preachers. If only we would listen to their message. Every single day as they are tweeting and they are growing and they, they're just going about their business, they are preaching a message to us that there is a God and a heavenly Father who cares for them, who sustains them, and who certainly cares for us. And this isn't just God providing bird seed and fertile soil. These really simple creatures, the fact that they are here, it's actually a miracle. Consider for a moment, and this is my worldview and many of our worldview, that currently God is keeping the universe from exploding or imploding. He is the one who keeps sectillion stars burning in the night sky, including our own. He is the one who is keeping the earth in the perfect place in all of the known universe to sustain life. He is the one who has finally tuned over 200 different factors to make it possible for life to exist on this planet. He is the God who is keeping it spinning, who has set the moon in its place, that controls our tides and our seasons and the tilt of the earth. He, through his creative genius, has created every atom and element and chemical and process needed for birds and flowers to flourish. This is the scale on which God is providing. But it's hard because our, we we're so fixated on our own little corner of the earth that we don't understand the grandness of all that God is doing to sustain and bring about life here on this planet, including life for you and me. And if God is doing all of this to provide for them, he's also doing this for you. And so Jesus speaks with confidence that his father is a God who will do that for you. Now listen, as many of his pagan listeners, the non-believing listeners uh, would have heard this, this was a new reality, a new way of thinking about God. In fact, one, comment, one commentator said this, anxiety characterized pagan religions, which were dominated by fears of a capricious and despotic deity who constantly had to be appeased. In that day, in that time, as he was doing the Sermon on the Mount, in that region, there would have been Romans, there would have been Greeks, there would have been Gentiles who believed in these deities that, that in, in their mind, you didn't want to tick off, <laughs> that were dangerous, that were, as he said, capricious and despotic. 
Deities like the gods of Jupiter and Neptune and Mars and Venus and Diana, the Greeks uh, who believed in Zeus and Athena and Poseidon, Aphrodite. You needed to offer the right sacrifices and know what was taboo. You needed to know what god was over what region and what thing and what their name was and what their preferred worship was and what sacrifice was required. It was actually a very anxious uh, relationship that they had with the gods. A God who would withhold from them, a God who would smite them, a God who would be angry with them. And Jesus is now talking about this God who cares for the birds and for the flowers. A God who cares for you, cares for you. This was a new theme. Gods in that day, they, they, they desired worship from you. They desired service from you. But care for you? Certainly not. Paul shared a similar sentiment when he was talking to the Athenian people on Mars Hill. He said, our God does not need to be served by human hands. In fact, he has no needs. And because our God is self-sufficient, he in his benevolence and generosity can simply care for us. This was so different from the gods of that day who had an insatiable appetite for sacrifice and had erratic changes in behavior and tyrannical tendencies. Jesus presents a very different picture of God. And perhaps for some of you, this is a reframing of who God is. Um, I've heard it said before that oftentimes what we'll do, because we've been told that God is Father, we will take our fathers and we'll impress their image upon God. And it will manipulate and change the way that we see and we think about God. Some of us have done this with our fathers. Some of us have done this with our pastors as well. We've taken our pastors and somehow they've influenced our view of who God is in an unhealthy way. And in many church settings, pastors try to elevate themselves actually to the closest thing to God. And that's why we do it. We're not about that here. But Jesus, um, here's what he's doing. He's saying, my father, and, and notice in the text, he said, your heavenly father is different. He is different than the gods that you've experienced, the gods you've heard about. He cares for birds <laughs> and flowers. And what he's doing, he's doing this lesser to greater thing. But if he cares for birds and flowers... How much more does he care for you? Now, what do you mean lesser to greater? We're all just creatures here on the earth. No, there is something different about humanity. And this is why Jesus has such confidence in who his father is and, how, and what he thinks of you. Because who are you? You, my friend, is a human being. You are more than just flesh and blood. And you are certainly just not a cosmic accident. And you haven't won the lottery of life and just so happened to be here. You are someone who is made in the image of God. You are somebody who God knows. The birds and flowers are not made in God's image. They're created out of God's genius, but they're not made in his image. There's something different about you. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says this, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. 
So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. From the very beginning, God created us in his image to share his likeness. There is something about us, a connection that he has with us that is different than the birds and the flowers. And if he cares for them, of course he's going to care for those who bear his likeness. As a father, I totally get this now. And many of you who are are parents understand this. When you look at this little being that is in your likeness, there is very little you wouldn't do for them, right? (laughs) You, you, You would go to the ends of the earth for them. You would, you would jump in front of a train for them. You would do absolutely anything for them. And that is the way that God looks at you. That is how he feels about you. When he looks at you, he sees his likeness. Someone who reflects him. Someone who looks like him. There is something unique and special about you. Daryl Johnson says this, he says, it is this level of understanding that our cultures are dying to know. The universe is not an accident. You are not an accident. Indeed, you are so much more than you know. You are a creature created in the image and likeness of the creator. That is who you are. God loves you. And I, and I, I believe that, that he loves you so much. The scriptures actually say he, he knows the number of hairs on your head. It is that level of kind of obsession and detail-oriented. He's got a photo album with your baby pictures, all right? Like, he, he loves you. He, he is concerned for you. He, he watches over you. And as this passage says, he cares for you. And you were so loved by God. This is God's heart for you that we're talking about now. You are so loved by God. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to tell you about that great love. You see, Jesus didn't become a bird or a flower. (laughs) He became a human being to communicate in human language to humanity that we are, that there is a God, that he is good, that he loves you, that he created you, that he wants to know you. This is the message he came to bring. This is how much God loved you, that he actually entered into humanity and became like us to share that great message with us, good news with us, as the gospel writers, the evangelists record. You are so loved by God that he would make the effort. That rather than you trying to ascend the ladder of religion to try and get to God, God would come to us and become like us to share of his great love and to make a way for us to know him. So we no longer have to come up with our own creative and human ideas of what God is like. God became like us so that we could know what he is like. And God that day in Galilee... On the Sermon on the Mount, probably wearing sandals, uh, (laughs) came to bring that message and that vision of what God was like, a God who cares for you. And you know, he didn't just become like us, but he died for us. 
This was the incredible love that he had for us. Rather than demanding sacrifices from you, he sacrificed his son, Jesus, on the cross for you. Died, God died for humanity, not hummingbirds. God died for people, not peonies. He came for you, right? This, and so even, here's what Jesus is saying. If he cares for the birds and the flowers, how much more? How much more, how much more does he care for you? And as Daryl said, this is the message I think that you and me and all of us are dying to hear. That we, yes, we do have great significance because of who God has made us to be. Yes, there is a God who, who knows us. Yes, there is a God who cares for us. Yes, there is a God who loves you. And some of you think this sounds like Sunday school, but this is the good news. This is the gospel message. There is a heavenly father who is good and you are made in his image and likeness and he loves you and cares about you so, so much that he became like you, that he died for you to declare to you that he wants to know you and be in relationship with you. Do you see how valuable you are? Augustine said this, men go abroad to wonder at the heights of mountains and at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars, but they pass by themselves and they don't even notice. Some of you have been passing by yourselves for far too long. put it in the words of Jesus, people go abroad to wonder at the birds of the air and to marvel at the flowers of the fields, but they pass by themselves without even wondering. This morning, I want you to begin to wonder about yourself. I want you to begin to consider who our God is, our Heavenly Father is, and how much he cares for you. And I believe that this childlike faith that Jesus is prescribing, although so very simple, can begin to take our anxious thoughts and our anxious hearts and it can begin to transform us and change us to think differently. Because all of us, we, here's the, t the temptation and here's the ditch that we fall into sometimes as human beings and especially as Christians. I think as Christians, even though we say we believe in God and we say we believe the truth of the scripture, what we can begin to slip into is functional atheism. And functional atheism is this, is that functionally I exist as if God is not a good and benevolent heavenly father and as if I am not significant. And so therefore, if anything's going to happen in this world, it is on me to get it done. I'm it. I'm the end. And so what this ends up doing for us is this. It leads to a lot of worry, a desire for control because our world is out of control, this temptation to overplan because there is no greater plan. And, and we begin to, to fuss and, and, and just endlessly work things over in our mind because of a distrust that there truly is a heavenly father who loves us and cares for us and that he thinks of us and he'll be there for us. I think we're all guilty as living as functional atheists. And what Jesus is doing today is this, is that he's trying to realign your vision with God's vision. 
He's trying to give you new eyes to see the reality in which you live in, the reality which is yours in Christ Jesus, the reality which is yours as a human being, that there is a heavenly father who cares for you. And friends, what we believe matters, our worldview matters, our vision affects our perception of reality. Our view of God affects our everyday life. In John Powell's book, Fully Human, Fully Alive, he talks about our vision of reality and our, our worldview, our narrative. And he says this, through the eyes of our minds, you look out at reality, ourselves, other people, life, the world, and God. However, we see these things differently. Your vision of reality is not mine, and conversely, mine is not yours. Both our visions are limited and inadequate, but not to the same extent. We have both misinterpreted and distorted reality, but in different ways. We have each seen something of available truth and beauty, which the other has been blind. And then he continues, he says this, The main point is that it is the dimensions and clarities of this vision that determine the dimensions of our world and the quality of our lives. To the extent we are blind or have distorted reality, our lives and our happiness has been diminished. Consequently, if we are to change, to grow, there must first be a change in this basic vision or perception of reality. Here's what he is saying. Is that our vision... The way in which we view the world, because of sin, because of our own flesh and our own brokenness and our trauma and our past, all these kind of things, it is distorted. So if we are to change, and, and, and because of that distortion, it's affecting our happiness. It's affecting our day-to-day -day life. It's affecting uh, how we actually function and live. It's causing us to worry. But he says, if we are to change, to grow, there must be first a change in our basic vision or perception of reality. Here's what that reality that Jesus is trying to help us see in this text. It's so simple. You've heard me say it already. There is a heavenly father who is oh so very good, who is caring for creation and desperately cares for you. And friends, I believe if we were to believe that simple vision of reality, I'm not going to suggest that we would never worry. But man, I think we would worry less. If we truly believed it, I think we would worry less. And so what is Jesus calling us to do? In light of this, one, I believe it is to believe this. And the way that that belief manifests itself is by seeking, is by seeking. What does he say? He says, don't worry about these things, what you'll eat, what you will drink. Your heavenly father will take care of all of this. He'll give you everything you need. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and all these things will be given to you. And he'll give you everything that you will need. We're being invited to worry less and to seek more. To worry less and to seek more. And 
when we truly believe this, here's what we will do is that we will take our worries and we will make them opportunities. We'll take our worries. Oh man, how am I going to pay my mortgage? Just like one more interest rate hike. Or how am I going to take care of my kids? Or how am I going to accomplish this end? Or how am I going to fill in the blank? What is it for you? We take that worry and we, we take it and we make it an opportunity to seek God. Because we believe he's good, we, because we believe we are image bearers, because we believe that he cares for us, God, I will seek you and your kingdom. I will align my life with you. I will take my worries and I will turn them into opportunities to chase after you, to pursue you, and to hold you <laughs> to what you said, which is that you care for me. And so I will believe that and I will seek you. I will pursue you. I will go to church. I will spend time in prayer. I will continually worship you. And I will believe you that you care for me. That all of what the scriptures say is true. That you will seek the kingdom of God. That you will allow the rule and reign of God to come into your life. And to align yourself with his vision. Believing what he said was true. And to live righteously, to live right-relatedly, meaning to live in right relationship with God, to live in right relationship with others, to live in right relationship with this world. And as you seek God and as you live rightly and aligned with him, it's a form of worship and a form of trust, saying, God, I believe you are who you said you were. I believe you will do what you said you will do. And so therefore, I will seek more and worry less. I will take my worries and turn them into opportunities to declare to the seen and the unseen world, I actually believe this stuff. To pursue God and to live the way he has called us to live and believe that he'll take care of us in the end. You see, this isn't calling us to just do nothing. The birds still go out and look for a worm, but they trust the worm will be there, right? Uh, the, the, the flowers still are doing all the process of photosynthesis, but they believe that they, they, they trust that the rain will come. And so we, as we seek God and we live righteously and we live out our lives, we live rightly, it is an act of faith believing God, if I align myself with you, you will give me everything I need. And the key word here is need. Our God is not a God who fulfills our idolatry. And our God is not a God who, who you know, just gives us whatever we've coveted recently. But the promise of scripture is this, is that we have a God who will give us what we need. If we seek him, if we live righteously, he says, Jesus says, he will give you everything you need. And one of the ways that we seek God here at Rail City on a Sunday morning, it's through gathering together in the way that we have. It's through worshiping him in the way that we just were. It is also through hearing the word, as we've just done. But every single week, we come to the table. And when we come to the table and we take this simple bread and we take this juice and we seek him and him alone, it realigns our vision and our minds to the fact that there is a God who loves us 
who has died for us, who has forgiven us, and has not given up on us. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the band up. And as we come to the table today, this is an opportunity for us to step out in faith and say, God, I will seek you. I will trust you. I will be in right relationship with you as I confess my sin. I accept your grace and forgiveness. And I will believe that you will take care of me. So I'm going to pray for us, and we'll step into that moment. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning, and I thank you for this, such a simple message, really, what Jesus has spoken to us today. And there was, yes, a lot of other little rabbit holes we could have dug into in this text, but I believe there is a simple truth, a simple truth, that I pray by your spirit right now, you would help us to believe. That God, you are real. That God, you are here. And that God, that you care for us. With the words that were spoken oh so long ago by your son Jesus, would they come into our hearts and would we believe them? Today, as we see the birds and the flowers, would they preach to our souls? Help our unbelief, God. Forgive us for the moments that we've slipped into just this functional atheism, this naturalistic worldview that you're not there, we're insignificant, and it's all on us. Some of my friends who are here, they desperately needed this message today. They've had words spoken over them. Things said to them that have made them feel worthless. That made them feel as if they have no value. Nothing to contribute in this world. Maybe difficulty after difficulty, challenge after challenge. It's just, I don't know, beat the hope out of them. And my prayer this morning is this, Holy Spirit, that you would come now and that you would affirm in our hearts your great love for us. Some of us have been carrying like heavy, heavy worries. And I pray today this really simple message would have this profound effect in our lives. That we would walk out of this place feeling lighter. And that the worries, although real, they would grow strangely dim in the light of who you are, in light of who we are, in light of your great love and heart for us.
Help us to see the world the way that you do, Jesus. Help us to become the new humanity. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash railcity to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.